You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Good morning, happy Groundhog's Day. Uh, David Floyd asked me earlier, he said, so since it's Groundhog's Day, are you just going to do last week's sermon again? So I thought, that's a great idea. So turn your Bibles open to last week's passage, chapter 1. No, uh, we are excited. Like, there's some awesome stuff going on. As Chris had mentioned, we talked about it yesterday. And one of those things is Night to Shine. And I just want to share, because Debbie had just caught me before we were able to share this in the announcements, we are at 77 participants come into this, which is awesome already. Last, last year, we had 60-some, and so we've already surpassed that. We still have a week left to sign up. Isn't that awesome? It's very cool. So there's even a night to shine up in Abingdon uh, this year. And so even with uh, some people not coming from the north, uh, from Abingdon, we still are surpassing where we were at last year. But we need buddies. We need people that would be able to come with them. We're actually, at this point, short about 10 buddies. And so um, if, if you are available ne- this Friday night, uh, today is the deadline to sign up. You can do that on the website. Or Debbie said, just come see her out at Connection Point afterwards. If you'd like to come Friday night and be a buddy, we could use you. We'd love for you to, to laugh with the participants, to dance with the guests, to, to crown them, um, either a king or a queen. It's an awesome thing. So if you are willing, if you're free Friday night, we would love for you to be a buddy. And so it's going to be a great night. we got so many cool things going on, and I'm just excited, right? I'm just excited to be here. Um, so as we were looking at t- today's talk, I was thinking about, uh, about one thing in particular. We were looking at God's hand is in chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2. You see his hand over it. It's almost like his handwriting. His signature is upon everything that's about to happen. And so when I think about handwriting, I automatically think about that was the one thing I got in trouble for my entire life, right? Well, not the one thing. There's a lot. But one, one of the things at school I got in trouble for is I write, like, notoriously small. It's very small. I think it was in an effort because I can't spell very well, so the teachers wouldn't know, really, is there an A in there or not? They just blend all together. And so I just write extremely small, and I still do, the, do to this day. Um, and, but it's very significant. You, if you ever receive a card from me, if you receive a note, if you see my writing, you'll know Matt's been here because it's incredibly small. It's funny how all of us have a unique handwriting. This week, we brought down a picture from my grandpa. Uh, he has since passed away. He passed away uh, quite a while ago when we were in Taiwan, and we have this picture, and we turned it over, and we were sharing it with my kids, and they said, is that grandpa's handwriting? And I said, it is. And it's so neat that even though he's passed away, I still have a little bit of grandpa speaking out to me as I see the perfect penmanship that he had. Even though he was a poor farm boy, he learned perfect, amazing penmanship. And so you see the back of this picture, and it's grandpa's handwriting. I'll never mistake his handwriting for anybody else's. It's very significant. It's very unique. My handwriting is very unique. Yours is probably the same, right? Some people say you can't read your handwriting. Maybe your handwriting's really nice. Maybe you do cursive, or maybe it's all print, giant block letters or bubble letters, whatever it is. It's unique. And so that's what we're about to see. If you have your Bible, open it to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to see God's unique handwriting on Ruth's life, on Ruth's story. And and it's God's unique handwriting because it's amazing. You can see the same thing in the lives of people all throughout the Bible. And I hope you can see the same thing on your life, on my life. That when we look back, that there's no mistaking that this is God 
writing all over. That this was God's direction. This is God's provision. This is God's providence in your life, in Ruth's life, in my life. And so I see it almost like a handwriting that's very distinct. Sometimes it's giant block letters that you see God's writing, like we're going to see here in Ruth. Sometimes it feels like a small, microscopic signature in the details. But either way, it's God's handwriting. It's God's mark. It's God's signature on the story. So we've started going through the book of Ruth. Last two weeks, we looked at chapter 1. And in that chapter, we saw that Naomi and her family left to, to Moab. And her husband and her boys died. And she came back to Israel. She returned back to God. Only this time, she brought along her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And my, Naomi has gone through a hard life. And she's bitter. She's bitter about the blows that she's had, and she's bitter towards God. But she still knows she wants to come back into his grace, come back into his mercy, come back into his people and his fold. And so Naomi brings, comes back to Israel, but her heart is still cold. Her heart is still heart. But along with her coming back is Ruth. And Ruth made a pledge that we saw last week. She, Ruth has adopted this God of Israel, this God of Naomi. And she has said, I will follow you wherever you go. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. And so we pick up on the story at the beginning of chapter 2. And some of these steps she has fulfilled. Where Naomi goes, she goes. They've come back and they're now in Bethlehem. They're living together in a, probably a small, poor person's home. Where you lodge, I will lodge. But now the next steps. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. This is what we're about to see unfold in chapter 2. So like I said, if you have your Bibles, open it to Ruth chapter 2. Get ready to see God's handprint throughout this. We'll also have it up on the screen or you can just sit back and listen. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, that was Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. Now the Old Testament writers didn't have a talisized uh, way to make it stand out, they didn't have parentheses, so if there was an important fact, they would just throw it in there, or even if it didn't make sense in the placement, and that's exactly what they did, is the Old Testament writer is saying, hey, here's this fact that you need to know, this is what we're about to get into, you need to know about Boaz a man of outstanding character, a man of standing in the clan. And so he's wealthy and he's significant. He's prominent among the group of Elimelech, Naomi's husband that passed away. Verse 2 continues, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. So there's this idea, there's this law that God had initiated, and it's interesting that Naomi knows this law. I don't know, it's interesting that Ruth knows this law. I don't know where Ruth is getting all this, if she's learning from her mother-in-law, if she has learned from Elimelech and her husband in the past, past 10 years when they were in Moab, but she knows these details about God's law. And one of those laws is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. I am the Lord, your God. God had a way to provide for those that were poor in a dignified way. 
that those that were poor, those that were foreigners, the widows, the orphans would be able to go behind after the first harvest has been done and, and be able to get the edge of the field, be able to get the leftover grain, leftover grapes that have fallen on the ground. That instead of being greedy and grabbing every last detail for yourself in your own field, you would leave that so that people could come behind and they could work for the food. And they wouldn't get much, but they would be able to work and have pride in what they were doing as well. And so this is what Ruth sees, and she sees this opportunity. She says, let me go work. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. Right? The author, like we said a couple weeks ago, this author has an amazing storytelling gift. And so it kind of draws us in, well, as it turned out, what a coincidence that this is Boaz, Elimelech's field. Of all the fields in Bethlehem that Ruth could have gone to, of every field around, this is a farming community and there are fields everywhere you can see, as it turns out, she chooses the one of Boaz. Then the coincidence gets even greater. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. We see God's signature, God's handprint, God's handwriting all over the story. That God directed her to this field. And that of all the times, Boaz is a, a prominent man. Boaz is a wealthy man. He has many fields. He could have been in another field that day. But this day, he chooses this field to be in. As it turns out, just happens? No. This was God's handprint on their life. This is God writing this story. That was an amazing story that would be an inspiration for us thousands of years later. This is God writing the story of this couple that's about to meet and fall in love. This is God's handwriting all over it. And so as it turns out, she goes into the field. And as it turns out, Boaz, of all the fields that he visits, he visits this one this day. And it happens to be at the time that Ruth is working. So, but verse 5, Boaz asks the overseer of his harvest, who does that young woman belong to? I think this is important to see that Boaz is a prominent man. It means he has a lot of wealth, probably many fields, which would mean many workers. And it's not that he's caught up in his wealth, but he's caught up in people. Imagine all the workers he has, and, and he's a prominent man. There's no reason that he would talk to the, to the people that are just working the field, but he does. That he recognizes when there's a new face in town. He recognizes when there's a new face working in his field, and he goes to the foreman and says, Hey, hey, there's someone new here. There's someone I don't recognize. What's her name? Who is that? And the overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field, and she remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. It tells us a lot about Ruth as well. Ruth was polite. Ruth was diligent. She didn't just come in and, and know that there's this law that she should be allowed to do this and that she feels enabled and that she feels that it's her right. She gets permission. She does it the correct way, and she gets permission, talks to the overseer, hey, can I work here? Which allowed the overseer to get to know who this person was. Again, God's hand is all throughout the story. 
So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who works for me. Watch the field where, when, where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Here we're going to see in this little passage, and and might get lost when you're just looking at the story of Boaz and Ruth, of, of a poor foreigner that might be hungry and thirsty and a caretaker. But this is a story that parallels God's grace. Boaz is showing grace to this foreigner that doesn't deserve it, just as Jesus shows us grace. We see the parallels all throughout this part. We see that Boaz offers Ruth a place to belong. He says, don't go to any other field. Stay with my field. Stay with my people. Stay with the women that are working and that are following the men, cutting them down. Get a drink with my people. Eat with my people. You belong here. He offers her a purpose. She went out this morning hoping to glean some food. Naomi and her are hungry. And if you don't get your own food, you're not going to eat. And if you're not going to eat, you're going to starve. And so he gives her a purpose. Stay with, my, <clears throat> stay with my field. Here, go ahead and harvest. Go ahead and glean. I'll provide you with food that you can take back to Naomi. And he offers her protection. This is a dangerous time, especially for a lady, especially for a foreigner, especially for a foreign lady. And he says, stay with my field. And I'll tell the men to leave you alone, and you stay with the women. Don't leave my field. I got you. You'll be safe here. And like I said, this parallels Boaz's offer of grace to Ruth, to someone that doesn't deserve this. Parallels what Jesus offers you and me. That when we accept his salvation, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, when we believe that he died and rose again, and we come into his family, he offers us a place to belong. So it would be called the sons and daughters of God. That we belong in this family of Christ, that we're adopted in. He gives us a purpose to glorify God and to bring others to him. And just like Ruth, he gives us, just like Ruth received from Boaz, he gives us protection. Eternal protection from Satan. Protection from our sins. Protection into eternity as we reside in heaven with him. You see, this story is a beautiful one, and the story is God's handprint all over the life of Ruth and the life of Boaz, but the life of you and me as his handprint was what sent Jesus to earth to die for us and raise again. That handprint is over our salvation story, just as it is Ruth's survival story. And so the passage continues, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? She doesn't understand why she receives this grace, and, and I love that. I think that, that almost should be our story, right? We have this grace, we have this forgiveness, and, and I think if God knew all the things that I've done, there's no way he would give me this grace, and, and the reality is he does know, and he chooses to give me this grace. Boaz knows she's a foreigner. Boaz knows that she doesn't belong here, and he still chooses to include her and give her this grace. And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And I love this. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. And in this passage, Boaz brings her in under the wings of the Lord. In this passage, Boaz brings her in to be one of the people just like the Israelites, to receive the reward and the blessing of the Lord, to be under his protective wings. She's no longer an outcast. She's no longer just the foreign girl that came with Naomi. She is one of us. He brings her in and he says, may the Lord bless you too. At one time you were an outsider, but now you're an insider. At one time we were an outsider. Outside of God's grace, outside of his forgiveness. But when we've given our life to him, we become an insider. And we receive his blessing and his reward. And we receive his protection under his wing. And so the passage continues. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and even had some leftover. So the passage continues. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Boaz is taking care of her, providing for her, right? So Ruth gleaned from the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from what she had eaten, when she had not eaten enough. That she comes in, she brings this ephah, which is about 30 pounds, and then she says, oh yeah, by the way, here's my doggy bag from dinner. This is the part that you would normally think that she would have got in the, this is all that she might have received in it all, was this little bag. I don't know about you guys, but I love parades, right? And one of the best parts about a parade is the candy that's thrown out. And, and there was this unique parade I went to a few years ago. It's in Mattoon, Illinois, where the Linder's Bagels are built, all right? And it's actually called Bagel Fest. It's the celebration, and they have the Bagel Fest queen and the Bagel Fest mayor, and everyone comes down this parade, and it was awesome. And you get, you know, they throw out candy, and, and we would grab little bits of candy, and it's just thrown out. Here, we're going to throw some candy out. There you go. Look out. All right. Do you guys feel left out? All right, there you go. We got candy. All right, and so you guys, see, people are excited over there. You, got, you know the joy uh, of, a, of a parade is when there's that candy, and it's kind of the leftovers, right? And so oftentimes, like, I'd be there with my kids, and they would go and scatter about, and I'd use my keen sense to see some that they missed, and then I'd go over and put my foot in front of it and distract them, and then I would get that piece of candy. And it, I feel like Ruth, like I'm getting the leftovers. At Bagel Fest, they also had bagels they would throw out, all right? So there's a bagel. Look out, look out. Oh, oh, that was close. Good catch. All right. Another bagel. All right. There we go. All right. So Bagel Fest, they would throw out candy and bagels. And so it was awesome. And so I'd come behind and I'd get some candy. Really, good job. She totally protected her. Wouldn't that have been awful? I went to church this morning and I got knocked out by a bagel. All right. And so, uh, so we'd have this bag of candy and my kids would get it. And it was about all we could handle would be in that one, that one parade. And they would have candy, and we'd take it back, and, and we had bagels, and it was good. That was the doggy bag Ruth had, was the leftovers, was the part that was thrown to the side. 
But imagine now, so you have the candy, and then you got a little more candy. And so it says that she got an ephah, 30 pounds. So you got some more bagels, all right, some more candy, more candy, more bagels, more candy, more candy, more candy, more bagels, and more candy. 30 pounds of candy compared to the little bag. This is the doggy bag that she maybe deserved. This is the doggy bag that she might have earned. And this is what Boaz blessed her with. It's incredible when you see the difference. You see, 30 pounds was enough for a week's survival for two women. 30 pounds in this one day would last her for the rest of the week. And he tells her, don't leave my fields. Continue to stay with me through the rest of the harvest. So that's through the barley harvest, which will be followed by the wheat harvest. This is seven weeks of harvesting. Seven weeks of bringing this home. And I was reading that if the seven weeks, if she got this much every day, at the end of seven weeks, it would be enough food to feed two ladies for an entire year until the harvest came again. He provided everything they could need. This is what she imagined that she would have. And she got immeasurably more. Leads me to that verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That Jesus can do immeasurably more than we could ever even imagine. When Ruth left that morning, she was hoping to get enough food for Naomi and her for the night. Maybe for the next day. And she got immeasurably more. She was blessed beyond anything that she could have imagined when she left that morning. There's no way that she would have ever thought she could have got that much there's no way that she would have thought that she would be in a field of Elimelech's clan. There's no way that she would have known that she would have been able to hit it off and maybe even build a new budding relationship with Boaz. God's handprint was all over this story as she received immeasurably more. So then the passage continues. She goes back with all of this. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her to her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped. Now, she's not talking about Boaz. Naomi's talking about God. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Remember, Naomi's heart is bitter. Naomi's heart is cold. But she comes back to the Lord. And she sees that the Lord has never left her. The Lord is providing immeasurably more. We start to see Naomi's heart change in the story as she comes to know the Lord even more, and he becomes more real and is a blessing. We see Naomi being touched by God's love and generosity that God has given her immeasurably more. Verse 21 says, Then Ruth the Moabite said, 
He even said to me, stay with, my, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grains. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because if someone, in someone else's field, you might be harmed. Saying, Naomi, he promised me seven more weeks. Imagine if we bring this home, we got our years worth taken care of. And the chapter ends, so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Where you go, I'll go. They go to Bethlehem. Where you live, I'll live. They live together. Your community, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This chapter is a huge chapter as we see Ruth fully diving into this. Ruth fully living in this, this umbrella, this wing of God, and being embraced by God and in the community. We see God's handwriting all over. So as we walk away at the end of this, I want to ask you, do you see God's handwriting in your life? Because trust me, it's there. If we're looking to, to live for him, if we're looking to follow his ways, we're going to see his handwriting all over. And sometimes like this is giant block letters, right? You can't miss it. Of all the fields she happens to be in Boaz's. Of all the fields that Boaz visits, it happens to be the one Ruth is at. You can't miss this giant blessing that Ruth got. It's like block letters of God's handwriting. Sometimes it's a little details. Sometimes you might feel like you don't see God's handwriting, but it's there. Sometimes we have to look closer. But if we're doing as Ruth did, pursuing God, pursuing to live in his ways, we're going to be blessed immeasurably more. Let me share with you that verse one more time, Ephesians 3.20, but this time from the message version. God can do anything. You know, far more than you could have ever imagined or guessed or requested in your wildest dreams. He does, it not, he, does, he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Glory. God wants to do immeasurably more. And that begins with what he did on the cross. We're going to partake in communion to remember the beginning of immeasurably more. That the bread and the juice represents his body, which hung on a cross, his blood poured out for us. And that we partake in this because we died with him and we rose again. That because of that, our sins are forgiven. Because of that, we have salvation. It says beyond our wildest dreams, I could have never dreamed that. This was God's story all along. This was God's story for Ruth, but Jesus hanging on the cross was God's story for all mankind, for you and for me. And so as we think and we live for God and we live in his, under his umbrella, under his wing, let us look for his signature. Let us look for his handprint. Look for what he's doing beyond your wildest dreams. And it begins here at the cross. Because... He's given us immeasurably more of salvation, immeasurably more of forgiveness, immeasurably more 
of eternity. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you for giving us immeasurably more. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for the dying on the cross. Beyond our wildest dreams, beyond anything we could imagine, that your son would be the avenue for our salvation. We thank you for that. God, let us live in this abundance and overflow from that, of which you have given us immeasurably more. In your name, amen.